Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. This week is going to be our preseason kickoff. We're going to do a review of the green and white scrimmage that was a couple of days ago. We have the first unofficial depth chart that came out today. We're going to do some overview with that and finally finish up with a preview of the first preseason game against the New York Giants. To start things off, we're going to go over with the green and white scrimmage that was just a couple of days ago. Ups and downs from Zach Wilson. Matt, go ahead and tell us about it. Hey, all right. So uh, I was had a chance to actually go to the green and white scrimmage, but I. Uh, Chose not to make the three-hour trek from Long Island, uh, but I did catch up on the tweets uh, later in the night, and all I saw was panic <laughs> from people. Is this a sign of troubles to come for Zach Wilson? And the answer is no. <laughs> it is. It is not. Let's uh, let's get a hold of ourselves here. He's a 22-year-old uh, rookie quarterback. Was this his tenth practice? Maybe. Uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves too much here he's got a good amount of time left to pick up this offense and to get his head and his game where it needs to be i don't expect it to be where we need to be right now and neither should anybody else uh what do you throw two interceptions great i mean you sort of expect the defense to be ahead of the offense right now uh and they are so congratulations they have been following the norms that we've been seeing from years uh nothing to worry about here with wilson let him learn at his own pace let's not put any more added pressure on him than is he's already putting on himself uh he will be fine we just need to give him time uh do you guys think the same yeah you know zach has had a lot of ups and downs in practice and that's completely normal you know it's what happens with rookie quarterbacks it's what happens with rookie quarterbacks that are learning a brand new system uh and playing with new skill position guys and that's all about it there are three interceptions i think two picks that wilson threw and a and a pick that lamarcus joiner dropped and you know those three plays uh they're not bonehead mistakes right i saw four verts pick when he was targeting jameson crowder down the seam and get replay 
carry it in the cover tree. So I know threat to the flat from Kerry Crowder. He was a bit late. It's okay. Forward kind of play. You'd rather check down. You'd rather him be on time, but it happens. The second pick, I think it was fourth and five on the practice that they were scheming up. And Wilson threw a tight window throw a little bit late, also for James O'Crowder, and got deflected by Joyner, picking the Mosley, but not a bonehead mistake. Only guy that was open, he threw the ball there. And the third pick, uh, he just threw it up for grabs and definitely would not do that in a real game. It was like practice. Aaron Rodgers himself always says, I test myself in practice. Wilson threw a dumb ball off his back foot because it's practice. So those kind of plays, they happen in practice. And oftentimes, the offense is a little bit behind the defense. It happens. It's not like Zach Wilson is not being able to go through his reads and complete the basic stuff. Everyone is saying he's checking down when needed. He knows the scheme. So things will go gradually from there. And that's the thing with Zach. We're seeing the flashes. The flashes will become constant, and he will go from there. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. Um, he's a rookie. It's a learning curve. This is the NFL. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be better days. There's going to be really good days. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be really bad days. And it's all a process. And the number one thing with Zach that I think we can all agree on is, like you were mentioning, Vitor, he's not making the wrong reads. He's not making completely boneheaded decisions or you know, not understanding the offense. He's just a little late. And that's what happens when it's your... I think it's his seventh practice. If you count the green and white scrimmage, he's just getting acclimated. This is a similar scheme, of course, and it's similar to what he ran in college, but it's still verbiage and timing and understanding chemistry with your receivers. He's going to the right spots. It's just about getting there a little bit quicker. And when you're in college, you can kind of wait. And when the guy is open, see it and throw it. You got to be a little more anticipatory in the NFL. And I think Zach's learning that step by step. I think he's seeing what he needs to do and when he needs to start pulling the trigger a little earlier, how he needs to read things with his eyes a little bit quicker. And he's figuring out what he can and can't, can and can't get away with. And that's what practice is for. This is especially for a quarterback like Zach Wilson, who prides himself on being able to make a lot of throws from weird angles and tight windows. And maybe, you know, another quarterback wouldn't risk throwing a ball downfield. Zach Wilson's going to try it. You figure out what you can and can't get away with in practice so that you're not doing it in the real game. And this is where you want to see him. If I'm going to be on my back foot and I'm going to try and throw a ball into double coverage, you know, do it in practice. Don't do it in week one. Get it out of the way now and figure out what you can and can't do so that once you get to the game, you know your limits and you know whether you can try and make that play or whether it's better to throw it away or take the sack or check it down. It's all about understanding your own limits and understanding what you can and can't do. I think Wilson's doing that well. I think this was another example of him learning and as at least from his post-game press conference he looked like he wanted everything in his power to play better than he did i saw a guy that looked determined to improve and that's that's all we can hope for he's gonna improve i all i saw were like stat lines 11 of 24 112 yards two interceptions come on guys let's (laughs) it's it's not that big of a deal and a lot of that is not really contextualized it doesn't uh take into effect the pressure it doesn't take into effect drops it doesn't take into effect the throwaways so there's a lot of things that were left out of that stat line and he'll be just fine yeah i think he will i think he will it's only going to be a matter of time and the more practice he gets the better um we'll see how things progress over the next couple of weeks and practices the preseason goes on but i think 
this is not going to be the end all be all. And I don't think anyone's even going to remember how he played in the green and white scrimmage in a couple of weeks. Nope. <laughs> if he has a good showing at the Giants game next week, uh, I think it'll be the furthest thing from people's minds. Yeah, agreed. Well, that'll take us the next person that's been on people's minds a lot lately, and that is Denzel Mims. Uh, Mims, as we've seen, has had his places fall down in the depth chart. We'll get to that when we get to the actual depth chart itself. But he's been running with the twos and threes in practice. Seems to be the same when we got to green and white. Same sort of deal. He had a couple of nice plays, uh, especially when he got his time to play. I know he had a nice catch on a comeback route, which, again, using his size, boxing out defenders, doing what he does best. But we really need to see some more from Denzel Mims. Otherwise, this could be he could be an afterthought. And I hate to say that because this is a guy we were all expecting to be an electric piece of this offense. But right now he's getting overlapped. Yeah. I wrote a piece about Mims last week. Uh, you know, everyone has the right to be disappointed. First and foremost, this is not the end of the world for Mims. I don't think he, he'll be cut. He won't be traded. He is in the plans of the Jets. But everyone expects, expected that the second rounder from last season, from the last NFL draft to 2020, was going to be a major part of this offense. Everyone was like, hey, it's going to be Mims. It's going to be more. It's going to be Davis from week five on, and they're going to ball out. And Mims is not doing that as far. And, and, you know, and that's sad. That's sad because Mims has all the talent in the world. And I do think that scheme has something to do with it, that the Jets want something from Mims that he's not giving them. When I watched Mims tape this offseason, I realized that he needed to run his routes with more speed. He needed more sense of urgency. And on an offense that you need to stretch the field horizontally or be on the right place, on the right time for the quarterback, Mims needs to adjust. And right now, I, he, he hasn't done that as far as, it's, as it seems. I read a piece by Simini today that he said that Mims lost over 10 pounds because of food poisoning. This is also, you know, isn't good for Denzel. He lost some playing time in the spring. Killing Cole got over him. Elijah Moore got over him. And those kind of stuff just go, go wearing you down. Football teams are very competitive. Killing Cole signed a one-year deal to be with the Jets. Do you guys think he wants to be a fifth? String my receiver, he's going to fight his life for being a starter. You learn more, he has a target on his back. Corey Davis, a clear cut wide receiver, one. Jamison Crowder bet on himself by taking a pay cut. So Mims has four guys that are in front of him that need the starting job, and he needs to work hard. He needs to work hard. Coaching staff needs to understand the player. If not, Andrew, I think that Mims will be an afterthought, and he'll have to hope for some chances to get the field and ball out. Now I wonder, you just named a lot of great names there at wide receiver. Is his placement on this team right now more a symptom of the talent that we have around him? Is he an afterthought just because we have so many good wide receivers available to us? That I have a hard time thinking Killen Cole is a great name at wide receiver. He is not nowhere near as talented as Mims. Mims is so much more talented than him. Denzel Mims has. You know, not many guys have the size of Mims and run four, three, eight guys. He has it. You know, he, he just has to put things together. I don't know if his if food poisoning trouble him, but you know, for me, it, it's hard to deliver it right now. I think the the, the wide receiver that shirt is great. It's, it's good, but Mims is more talented than Crowder. Is more talented than Cole, and that's it. I mean, speed at the combine is one thing. We have not seen that on the field at all. 
I would even say I don't remember seeing that speed at college either. I don't. So I don't know if we should count on that speed. What we can count on is on is his physicality and where that gets him. And is he more physical than Cole? Maybe. But Cole's proven. He knows how to be physical in the NFL. Mims doesn't really. He's shown some flashes, but, but I don't think he's had enough time to really say that he could be a consistent physical player. Uh, he's got to stay healthy. And he's, if he's getting knocked out by food poisoning, that's a, that's a bad omen. Yeah, I think this is, this is a perfect storm of bad things for Denzel Mims all at once. To answer the original question you asked, Matt, which was, is this a product of Mims or is this a product of the talent in our receiver room? I think it's both. I think the Jets have more talent at receiver than they have had in a long, long time. Corey Davis is very clearly the established number one. He's been playing, uh, shown everything he's shown since he's come in through training camp and practices, been everything is advertised. We all know how great Elijah Moore is. We know what Jameson Crowder is capable of, and he's got even more motivation because he's on a one-year deal and he's auditioning for his next team. So we know Jameson Crowder is going to put in the work. And I think Keelan Cole was better than he got credit for. I think he was buried in Jacksonville behind whoever they drafted at receiver to be their next guy and whatever quarterback they had throwing the ball. I don't think he ever got a chance to get comfortable and show what he's capable of, but he stuck around the whole time. He made plays the whole time. He was consistent in his opportunities. And I think now that he's getting a bigger opportunity, I think he's just running with it. And Denzel Mims in the meantime, didn't really have a true offseason as a rookie because of COVID. Then he was injured, which limited his ability to get up to speed even more. And now you go from whatever offense Adam Gase was running to this offense under Michael Floor. It's a heck of a lot more detailed. It's a heck of a lot more nuanced. There's a lot more that goes into it from the receiver aspect in terms of reading coverages and adjusting your routes to fit that coverage. That's all new to him. And I think this is you're seeing it all kind of pile on where it's an injury and there's other guys on the depth chart who are, you know, more, I don't even want to say more talented, but just more up to speed and it's putting him behind. And now he's in an offense where it's, you know, all the technical aspect is such a huge part of it. And Mims has made his whole life and his whole career, just winning with his athleticism. And now when you're asked to go and play in this offense, it's a heck of a lot different. I don't buy the, the scheme fit arguments because I don't think that he isn't a scheme fit. Because Denzel Mims and Corey Davis have dang near identical skill sets. And if Corey Davis is a fit in this offense, then so is Denzel Mims. I think it's that Denzel Mims isn't up to speed mentally with the offense that's giving him trouble. And that's what's putting him further and further down the depth chart. And I think that's why specifically Keelan Cole has outclassed him, because I think Keelan Cole knows all of that. He's got the veteran understanding. He's been in the league. He can read coverages. He knows what he's doing. And that's meaning a lot when it, at least to the coaching staff, it's meaning a lot. And it's why Cole, I think is, is being placed higher in the depth chart. I mean, it's not that Keelan Cole was a bad player. That's the coach's favorite. That's getting looks for no reason. Keelan Cole has been playing really well in camp too. And it's like we said earlier, there's talent in the receiving room. I think it's everything at once is just becoming an issue for Denzel Mims. So I think the consensus here is like, all right, we like Mims. We like what he can do. We know that he's capable of more, and we're expecting to see more. So when is the time to panic? 
Because I don't think it's definitely not yet. But when is that time? After week three of the preseason, he's playing against a bunch of second and third teamers from other teams, and he hasn't shown up yet. I think if he shows up in preseason, even though the Jets still keep him as number five or six receiver, it's okay. But if the Jets keep him down in the depth chart and he does not show up on the opportunities that he has to play in this preseason, then I think it's time to worry. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is this preseason's really important for him. He's got to take the opportunity. If he is not going to be getting reps with the ones and he is going to be down on the depth chart, dominate when you're down on the depth chart. Go and, and show out against the Giants twos and threes in week one and show that you're better of than a player than the twos and threes that you're playing against. And you belong to be in a group that is more talented, more capable. And if that doesn't happen, then I think we're worried. Because the preseason, it's not going to be super technical in terms of play calling. Teams aren't going to want to give away a lot of what they're going to be doing. It's going to be very vanilla and very basic. And in those moments, athleticism tends to have an advantage because scheme isn't there to help out. And if Denzel Mims can't be winning against backups in the preseason, how are we going to expect him to win against starters in the regular season? See, but here's something that I... I don't think we're accounting for. Yeah, he will be playing against twos and threes, but I'll also have Mike White and James Morgan throwing to him. So there will be a, a, a definite drop off in talent that he has to work with as well. True, but I think you can still judge him independently outside of that if he's getting open. If he's if he's getting open and the ball doesn't come his way, then that's not necessarily on him. But I want to you want to see him get open and you want to see him make the most of the opportunities that he does get. And if there's it's hard to do that, like you said, when you have a backup quarterback throwing the ball, but we should be able to tell what the problem is. If Denzel Mims is doing what he can and Mike White or James Morgan are missing throws, we'll know that they're missing throws and we'll be able to say, well, that's their fault. It, we haven't been able to say anything even close to it outside of it because Denzel Mims hasn't had the opportunities out anyway. And even when he isn't being thrown the ball, most times he's not just wide open. Yeah, he will be wide receiver one probably in this rotation. So he will be getting a lot of targets, a lot of targets. So if the guys are missing him, we will know. If he is struggling to get open, we will know. I think he'll be he'll be a guy that will be an asset for the second and third team stringers playing against the Giants and the Packers, and he's going to get a lot of targets, and the film will be out there for us to see. All right, so to sum up, if we should not go by his stat line, we should go by the tape. Yep, always. Always. Yep, that goes for any player in any position. Always go by the tape over the stats, just like we talked about with Zach Wilson before, where don't so much look at the 11 for 24 or anything else. Watch the tape, watch the context, and understand the game within the game is always more important than when anything that goes on the stat sheet. All right. Well, next stop on the green and white scrimmage review, that is going to be what I think might be the biggest storyline of the entire team this year. And that is this defensive line because, oh my goodness, are they better than we might've even expected? Uh, they're constantly, constantly winning against the Jets offensive line and the Jets offensive line as much as we think it's going to be improved, it's still not, you know, an amazing unit by any stretch of the imagination. But they're getting they're getting their butts handed to them uh, uh, regularly when it comes to facing this defensive line. Carl Lawson, in particular, has been borderline unblockable in practice. Mackay Becton is definitely going to learn a lot from his matchups with him. 
But in particular, there's one play I want to point out where John Franklin Myers, and we've talked about a lot on this show, was playing defensive end, um, the other defensive end across from Carl Lawson. And it was actually one of Zach Wilson's interceptions where they're running a play action and Franklin Myers is the backside defensive end who reads the play perfectly, flows with the, with the motion of the, the run game to start with, stops, plants. As soon as he sees Wilson has the ball, he redirects and comes screaming at him. And it would have been a sack in a real game. That's where Wilson threw the ball off his back foot and threw a pass into coverage. He knew it was a sack in a real game. He knew the play was essentially over and wouldn't have had the opportunity to even make that throw. So he figured, well, I'll throw up a prayer and see what I can get away with. It's practice. But the point is, Franklin Myers did an excellent job as the defensive end, reading the play, applying the pressure. And this defensive line, I think, especially we got to remember, Quinnen Williams isn't even playing yet. This is, this is without Quinnen Williams. This, imagine how good it's going to be when he gets back. No Quinnen, no Curry. And it's not even just about the pressure they got. Even when they weren't getting pressure, they were being effective. You had, I think, two or three tip passes by uh, Fadikasi and Amaclair Rashad. Well, so they're, if, they, if they're getting productive snaps, even when they're not getting pressure, and that's very valuable. Yeah, and, you know, it's not like, to make a counterpoint for the offensive line right here, it's not like the O-line sucks and we should be concerned. The D-line just needs to attack. We've talked about it here about the system that Salah wants to build. It's an attacking mode system, while the O-line needs to install everything first so they can get their feet wet. So they need to run. They need to know the, their play action, their play action keys. They, the, the pass sets are different from probably the last game. It's a new O-line coach. And, you know, there are a lot of things that need to be installed before this O-line gets the ground running, gets the ground running, while the D-line just needs to attack. It's basically that, you know, trying to be as simple as possible. They just need to attack. So right now, early in training camp, the domination of the defensive line, it's, you know, it, 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 it's anticipated, right? I, I, I thought this was coming in a way. And I'm just really impressed with Carl Lawson's ability to win one-on-one reps. And, and that's what has stood out for me this far. As a unit, I thought the D-line was going to be fantastic early in camp. I just didn't see Carl Lawson being that dominant. You know, obviously, we haven't even had a handful of practice in pads thus far. But every time that they go pads, Lawson's is still dominating. And that's amazing. And that's a great time for Lawson, you know. Last week, I picked Lawson to be our defensive player of the year. And right now, I feel extremely confident about this prediction. I think Lawson is going to have a fantastic season. Yeah, everything's pointing that way. I mean, he has been nothing but dominant since he has been in New York. Uh, There's no other way to put it. Uh, Mekhi Becton has, uh, we all think, a really, really solid offensive tackle in the NFL. And yes, he's only entering his second year, but we still think that he is no slouch. And Carl Lawson is giving him the work. Carl Lawson, every practice, is racking up sacks. And it's once we get to the regular season, I mean, we might have, I, I don't even say we, I think I seriously, seriously underrated how good he could be because I said 10 sacks. If he has 10 sacks, that's a good year. Let's, let's pump the pump the brakes and not be overzealous expecting the world. I'm expecting 10 sacks. Now I think he's that good. I think he's going to be that good. And I think the Jets defensive line is going to be that good. And Lawson in particular is going to put himself up there with some of the best pass rushers in the NFL by the end of the year. If if he doesn't break Becton, Becton's going to come out of this offseason ironclad and ready for battle. 
it's it's going to be something fun to see. Uh, I I think his capabilities can go even beyond ten sacks. I think he can probably be a sack leader in this league. I I've seen all pro potential in him for a while. It's always been about health and the guys around him helping him get there. And I think he has that for once. All right. Well, that's going to take us to the unofficial depth chart that was just released today. We got a lot of interesting spots there. Uh, things we weren't quite expecting. Some things we were, we're going to start things off with the only spot that has two people listed in one starter. And that is the right tackle spot. They have Morgan Moses and George Fant both listed. Uh, clearly there is not a leader one way or the other. Although I do think you have to give the slight edge to Moses because they did bring him in already having Fant on the roster. So if they were comfortable with Fant, they wouldn't have chosen to do that. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I we've talked about it before when the signing was rumored. We talked about it after. We don't think either of these guys work that well as converts to guard. So whoever doesn't play this, doesn't start, is going to be the backup. Yeah. The Jets have two pros, pros competing right now at the right tackle spot. You know, both Morgan Moses and George Fan seem to be fantastic locker room guys, and they're good football players. You know, Moses and Fan, they will battle it out. I tweeted it in July when the Jets were about to sign Moses. I was like, they're not going to hand the starting job to Moses. Fans respected in the locker room. He's a good fit to the scheme. And, you know, the Jets, they only have to benefit from this position battle. Because whoever starts, it's clearly because they are more ready and they will have an insurance guy that's, that has starting potential in this league. And, you know, and I, I think Moses has, has the upper lag right now. But if Fant catch, catches up, plays in the preseason, the team runs well behind Fant to the right side. And he can win those one-on-one reps in, in training camp against those talented brushers the Jets have. Fant has a shot. I, I feel like it's one of the rare times in training camp that we have a clear-cut competition. Yeah, everybody thought that Moses could be a shoo-in to be the starter, but not so fast. Uh, like you like to keep saying, Andrew, they, they cut him for a reason. And early on in practice, he hasn't really been looking that great either. He's sort of been getting first-team reps by default since Fant has been uh, coming back from uh, COVID. Uh, but he's back now. So I can't wait to see Fant get in there and show what he can do. Because for what I've seen from Moses, it's getting beaten by Franklin Myers, getting beaten by Huff, getting beaten by just about anybody that they put in there. Uh, so I would love to see if Fant can really pull away from this, uh, from Moses in this competition. Yeah, um, every Jets fan should want George Fant to win this job. Because A, he's more expensive. So if you're going to be paying the guy as much as you are, then you would really hope that he's not a backup. And on top of that, Morgan Moses being a multi-year starter that hasn't missed a game, played at you know, a very high level in the time that he did play, he's a guy that's expected to come in and win this job. He's the guy that you're, you're thinking, okay, George Fance had one season as a full-time starter. You're a four-year starter, you know, played in 16 games every year. You should be the guy that comes in and wins this job. So if George Fant can can keep it, if George Fant can starve him off, that says a lot about George Fant. That says a lot about how much he has progressed and how much better he has gotten in his time 
getting comfortable at his right tackle spot because Morgan Moses was a dang good player. And yes, I think the, that the Washington football team did cut him for a reason. And I think we're seeing that also by the amount of money that he got in free agency. Uh, but he's still a talented player that is experienced and going against a guy that's entering his second season as a full-time right tackle, he should be expected to win that job. So conversely, if George Fant does win it, then I'm really excited to see what George Fant will do in his second year. And if not, then we have some really good depth at offensive tackle. All right. Well, next spot on the depth chart that was a little surprising was the tight end spot. Uh, they have Chris Herndon listed as tight end one, Ryan Griffin tight end two, and Tyler Croft tight end three. Uh, I think this is the one spot where you can look at it and think that it kind of doesn't matter the order as much because I really do think this is just going to be a, re a revolving door position. And I quite honestly, I think by the end of the season, Croft is going to be the tight end one and it's not going to be close. So yeah, it's, it's the cream's just going to go to uh, turn to the top here. It'll, it'll probably be Croft just because of his skill set and his skill within the system and what he's able to do on a daily basis. And Herndon's just so hit and miss. You don't know what you're going to get from him. Griffin brought in for the system back in with the Texans. So he's familiar with it. it it's really going to be situational. Uh, you, you really don't know who's going to be, who's going to, who are you going to see uh, on a play to play basis? But in the end, yeah, I agree. It's probably going to be Croft with uh, the most uh, productive stat line. Yeah. I think that Croft and Herndon will be the main guys right here. Uh, as I've read, they are basically alternating first-team reps. Herndon has been playing okay. Croft has been playing okay, which is disappointing because Herndon, as a pass catcher, is much more talented than Croft. But listing Ryan Griffin as a two, and what I've also read and heard that Griffin has been getting some first-team reps makes me think that Griffin will have a, a larger, larger, larger role than expected. You know, maybe he'll be tight end three, tight end two. But he will be featured in some formations, and that that's nice. You know, Ryan Griffin was a good, solid player before his injury, and if he can, he can regain form, it's going to be good news for us. Yeah, I agree. Um, when we were in our tight end episode, I expected Griffin to be the guy that that led out of everybody, and I think that prediction may not come true, but I do think he's going to have a role, and I think that you know we've talked about it at length that the Jets are going to run a lot of eleven personnel, but. When they want to run the ball and when they really want to start grinding some teams, maybe against some teams that have some better secondaries, they might want to run some 12. They might want to run some some 22 even and, and get into some heavier sets. And Ryan Griffin, I think, is going to be that second tight end, whether Tyler Croft or Chris Herndon is the other one. I think Ryan Griffin is going to be the tight end, too, and he's going to get his opportunities. Uh, tight ends are rookie quarterbacks, best friends, and it's you can never have too many good ones. And the Jets really don't have that many talented ones right now, but I think that they will get better in their roles. And I quite honestly, I'm, I'm waiting to see how this position shakes out because I think how it looks right now is going to be a lot different than the end of the year. I was hoping they would have a fullback section just to see Wesco there, but they, they do have them under the tight ends. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I do think that he is going to be, the fullback when they use a fullback. I just don't know how often they're going to use one. People are saying that he's been playing a lot for the first first scene. You know, the Jets are going a lot, 21 personnel with with Wesco being used as a pass catcher. I've seen some Wilson targets showing. I think Croft's going to have a very large Croft. I think Wesco is going to have a large role here this, this season. 
I hope so, because uh, there's no better way to get the run game going than through 21 personnel, at least in my opinion. I think if you really want to run the ball and you want to get on, you know, running as quick as you can and really grind people into the ground, you got to do it from 21. You got to use some got to go to the classic God's play. Got to do the power offense. And it's having Wesco in as that fullback, especially that can also leak out and catch passes is valuable. Well, to continue on with the running game, the running back might have uh, the running back depth chart might be the most interesting one because I think in terms of surprise, it has our biggest surprise here. Michael Carter listed as running back four, Tevin Coleman running back one, Lamichael P. Ryan running back two, Ty Johnson running back three. I went a little out of order because we have all been expecting Michael Carter to be the lead dog, and as, at least through training camp, that's what we've seen as well. Noted that when the Jets have been running in training camp and practices. Michael Carter and Tevin Coleman are usually the top two backs that when the first team units are out practicing, those are the guys that are playing with them more often than not. I will say P Ryan has gotten more opportunities than I was expecting. And he's apparently through training camp playing very well. And it'll be really interesting to see how he plays in the preseason to see if that continues, because I would, I think we would all love to be wrong about him. Having another talented back in the stable is not a bad thing at all. And if he is the running back too right now, truly, then that stands for him. And I'm really excited to see what he does. Yep, Like you said, we hope that we're wrong about Piran because before we were saying he's probably the most likely to not make this roster uh, out of this group. And him showing uh, promise early so far is, is very good for him. And yeah, and overall, probably good for us. Good for everybody to have uh, this many talented running backs. Uh, but yeah, Coleman getting the the i think it's just more of an experience thing because if you look at the wide receivers with that you got the experienced guys in there coleman the most experienced i see him being there for the time being uh but it's just a placeholder because just like the tight ends it's going to be a rotation and at the end it's probably going to be carter with the most stats yeah, I, I think uh, uh, I think number one is Coleman followed up by by Carter and Ryan's may take on some snaps that were supposed to be given to Ty Johnson. I feel like that. I feel like having Coleman and Michael Carter would be the one and two punch early in the season with Coleman even getting more snaps than Carter early on, and then they will switch it out one and two being Carter to Coleman, and with Ryan and Johnson battling out for the rest of the touches. I feel like this is going to be the running back run of the Jets this year. Yeah, And you know who we're not mentioning and who I haven't heard mentioned at all since uh, training camp and practices before training camp have started? Josh Adams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. The only thing I heard about him was he dropped out a flat attempt by Zach Wilson. Yeah. I mean, we're expecting him to be the power back, the, the battering ram at the line. So, But the, maybe the emergence of Pirine sort of makes uh, softens that blow. Maybe we don't really need that battering ram because Pirine does have some power. And he does offer a little bit more in the passing game as well. So they might be choosing to go that route to be a little bit more diverse. Yeah, I, I for one, hope that LaMichael Pirine outplays Josh Adams. He should. He's a fourth-round pick going against a guy that was, I think, undrafted. And this is you're going in your second year. This, this should be a guy you should beat out. Michael Piran should have no problem beating out uh, a Josh Adams. And I'm excited that that's what it seems to look like so far. We would gladly be wrong because the more talented running backs the Jets have, especially in this offense, the better. And we don't want fourth round picks to flame out after a year. 
I, it's great to see progression. It's great to see improvement. And I'm really, really hoping that Michael Pirine plays fantastic this year. I want nothing more than for him to make us look like idiots. On to the defensive side. That's going to take us to the next uh, surprising spot on the depth chart. And that is going to be starting will linebacker Hamza Nasraldin, uh of the rookies. Seems like Hamza has been the one that's been getting most of the starting opportunities. Doesn't seem like that's slowing down anytime soon. I mean, we assume the will. They didn't really differentiate between the linebacker spots. Uh, but yeah, Hamza getting the, the starting spot. I mean, it's not very surprising because we said he's got all the talent in the world. He just needed to put it all together and have things slow down a little bit for him. And if that was, if that's the case, we knew that he had the talent to take the starting spot. And for right, what it seems like right now, he might have. Yeah. I feel like the Jets coaching staff likes both him and Sherwood, right? But they think that Hamza gives them a plus, athletically speaking, and Hamza has caught up to the mental part of the game. So why not play the kid? The tweets, the, the reveals about Hamza are good this far. They say he played well. He's been flying all over the place. Him and Gerard Davis, which is great news for us all Jets fans that were very concerned about linebacker spot. You know, it's encouraging to see Hamza getting this first team reps as early as that with Cashman and Sherwood behind him. See, yeah. But that's the thing. Sherwood isn't behind him. It's Cashman. Yeah, they list him as behind Gerard Davis, but I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't put too much stock in who they're behind because like, they, like I said before, they're, they're not differentiating between the linebacker spots. So maybe we shouldn't assign that Sherwood being back up to Davis or Cashman being back up to Nazarene. We, we just don't know. Yeah. Erring on the side of caution, I think is, is the right way to go about that. Um, I will say for Hamza in particular, this is clearly a sign that he's back to full health, which I think is huge for him because he doesn't seem like he's had any issues in movement, hasn't had any, having missed any practice time. You know, if they're fully confident giving him the starting job, then he's fully healthy. And that's really important for him because that was my biggest question mark was, is he going to be able to stay healthy and most importantly, get back to the form he was at when he was at peak health? Because when he was at peak health, he was flying all over the field, laying hits, picking off passes, being this dynamic defensive matchup playmaker and hopefully that's what the Jets are getting now, and he'll be able to carry that into the regular season. Um, I will say, erring on the side of caution with position designations, I do agree. But I've had a theory in the back of my head for a while, and I haven't said anything on the pod yet, but I think now will be a good time, that we've all been saying that Hamza and Sherwood were, were fighting for the will spot. And I think that they technically were. But I think the long-term plans of the future is that Jamie and Sherwood is the middle linebacker with Nasruddin being the outside linebacker because eventually, eventually, C.J. Mosley's contract is going to expire and I don't know if the Jets are going to want to re-sign him. So this might have been their down-the-road plans. Let's draft these two guys. Sherwood's going to be my future Mike who's going to be my play caller on the defense and Nasruddin can be our our will. If you want to look at a pairing to somewhere that uh, that Robert Sala has been before, you can go to Seattle and look at it as Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright, where swap the two of them, make the athletic guy the will guy, and make the smart play caller guy the middle guy, uh, the inside, and you have Sherwood and Nasruddin just like Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. Um, we'll see how that progresses in the future. I would say I'm not too worried about who's behind who specifically, but I do think it's interesting that they're listed them at different linebacker spots. 
And I do think eventually they will be playing different linebacker positions. That's a fair point. Well, that takes us to the corners. Uh, we have Wes Austin and Bryce Hall, are the de facto cornerbacks one and two. Javelin Guidry was starting slot corner, which I think we're all excited to see uh, him progress and get more talented. Um, but uh, all through camp, from what we've heard, green and white included, the corners, as much as we're worried, uh, haven't been doing so bad. In particular, Bryce Hall has been incredibly sticky in coverage, regardless of who he's going up against. Even when he is giving up catches, like when he was uh, in his rookie season, he wasn't really out of position. He's staying in phase. He's making some tight plays on the ball. And I think he's going to get better as well. And it's good to see that Bless Austin is apparently improving as well. We all don't think that he is long for the future on this team. But we also, like we said with the Michael Pirine, would love to be proven wrong. And Bless Austin being good and being a capable outside boundary corner is good for the Jets. And I hope this continues. But it'll be really interesting to see how things go into the season and whether they can carry this momentum into the actual regular season. And Austin's uh, really high on himself too. He thinks that he's going to be one of the top corners in the league this year. Uh, I don't think so, but uh, I would, like you said, I'd love to be proven wrong on that. Yep. And it's great to see that both, I think it was Eccles and Dunn, they, they got first team wraps last week. And it's great to see that too, that the, the, the competition, the competition is hitting up. So both of, Austin and how they need to continue to play well so they won't lose their spots. Well, in the event of losing a spot, I think that's a really good pivot to bring in a hypothetical here. Uh, there's been some rumors in the NFL landscape that the Jacksonville Jaguars could potentially trade C.J. Henderson, who was a cornerback that they just took in the first round a year ago, had an up and down rookie season, uh, maybe more down than up, but certainly has a lot of talent as a former top 10 pick. And I think in terms of scheme, could potentially be a scheme fit for the Jets if he were to be moved. Uh, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Not only do you think it would be a trade worth pursuing, and if so, what would you be willing to give up? Hmm, that's the question. What is the price? Uh, so I don't really know. Really, I've seen people say, hey, let's give the Seattle pick. I would not do that. Uh, <laughs> I would definitely not do that. I would maybe go as far as a second and a fifth. Yep. No. But uh, I would be even lower than that. Mm, I would give them maybe our third rounder next season, next draft, because we have a couple seconds. But you have to inquire why the Jaguars are trading him this early in his career. Bingo. And mm, yep. yeah, it, it's kind of weird. And also, I love the fact that the Jets have four picks in the first two rounds next season. I, I just want to, I just don't want to give them to nobody else. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I, I offer Carolina's two, uh, nothing more. And if Carolina's two doesn't do it, I move on with my life. Uh, there's, there's a reason that he could potentially be on the trade block. What that reason is, is always yet to be seen. Could just be, Urban Meyer doesn't like his personality or there could be a bunch of something, other stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know. But very, very rarely, unless there is a very obvious outside factor, does a team give up on a top 10 first round pick a year later? Went to where they're seeking a trade. That is not usual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah we can read between the lines here. There's something wrong. We don't know, but something's wrong there. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I think it's a little bit of buyer beware, where 
you don't know what that something wrong is. And unless you're fully competent and knowing whatever that problem is, is not going to be a problem for your team, then I don't know if this is someone you want to be throwing a bunch of assets to try and land. I think talent wise, he certainly would be worth investing in or trying to trade for purely off his talent alone. The fact that he's a young corner, it was just a first round pick. But I think quite honestly, even though he had some down moments as a rookie, I think he played better than maybe people give him credit for. I think everyone thought he was just outright awful last season, and I don't think he was outright awful. But all of this is weird. And it's it's not something that I think the Jets right now, with this much time to go before the season starts, should be dipping their toes in and, and trying to make a big push for. That's why I say offer offer Carolina second round pick. And if that doesn't do it, then that's your answer. Agree. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and really, I kind of like the youth that we have at cornerback. I like them getting these valuable snaps early in their careers. See what we have in them. And if we don't, I would rather go into the draft next year looking for that corner than to, to gamble on somebody that's done after one year in, in Jacksonville. Uh, I, I'm definitely for staying put and seeing what we got. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, that's going to take us to preseason week one. Uh, it's going to be this Saturday against the New York Giants. Um, going to be a really interesting uh see how things start leave what we've heard from the coaching staff is that zach wilson uh, most importantly but the starting offense in general maybe the starters in general plan to play about a quarter maybe a little bit more than that but mainly about a quarter of play in the first preseason game a little more than a full half in the second and then not as much time in the third but bring it up to the new york giants uh, it's going to be zach wilson's first time against another uh, opponent outside of just scrimmages uh, will be interesting to see how he does within that first quarter. The Giants defense, to my estimation, is not anything amazing. Uh, I don't think that there is, you know, anybody we have to particularly game plan for off the top of my head to watch out for and say, well, this guy is going to create a lot of problems. So it should be a solid, uh, solid opener for Zach Wilson. It should be a good place to get a foundation and get his feet set. Yeah, and Patrick Gray and their DC, you know, their defense excels when he can scheme up. I don't think he'll scheme up in preseason. So I, I like Zach's, Zach's chances to have a good game. On the offense, I'm looking for Zach, Elijah Moore, one tight end to step up in the starters and the O-line as a group. And in the backups, I want to see Mims and Vincent Smith. Who is going to play better between those two? Because those guys, last week, Vincent Smith got some first-team reps over Mims. And Mims has to be pissed off about it. He needs to play better. And on the defensive side, we're going to see how long the starters will play. But if D-line can rack Havoc early in the game, it's going to be great. Yeah, I mean, if the green and white scrimmage was bland and, and not something to worry about, the, what we're going to see against the Giants is also going to be very bland. We're, there's going to be, like you said, there's no scheming. So let's take everything we see with a grain of salt. But one thing I want to see is, is definitely the, the offensive line gelling some more because they are getting beaten up at practice and they are, they were getting beaten up in the green and white scrimmage. So it would be nice to see whether that uh, stone sharpening stone, iron sharpening iron is actually paying off. Let's see how they do against a defensive line that we is good. It's not bad. They got Leonard Williams, uh, but are they actually trending in the right direction? That's what I want to see. 
yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting. Um, I think the offense should have a solid day, quite honestly. I, I can't I think this is a solid matchup offensively for them. I think this should be a game where we see some Michael Carter and some Tevin Coleman runs pop. Um, yep. I, I think it'll be a good time for the offense. Defensively, this is a test because the Giants receivers, if you include running backs, tight ends and everything, they have a dang stockpile of weapons. And how Daniel Jones can distribute the ball to them is yet to be seen. But these young corners got a test. They got Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Tony. Uh, you know, you got Evan Ingram who splits out all the time. Darius Slayton's a solid receiver. Saquon Barkley out of the backfield. Whether he plays coming just off the pup is yet to be seen. But even without him, there is a ton of receivers, and it's going to be a big, big test for these corners. Yep. Different skill sets amongst them. Choose Slayton's a good dip threat. All days that 50-50 kind of guy. And Tony is that gadget. And while Shepard is the route runner, you know, they're going to be tested. You know what? There's one battle that we're, we're not really mentioning. The kicker battle. And uh, my money's actually on Amendola. I love his big leg. And he's been pretty accurate in practice. Uh, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Yeah, me too. Me too. Not to not to go too off on a tangent with kickers, but yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, the Jets need it's somebody who can consistently kick. It seems like the whole NFL is struggling to find people who can consistently kick, and Amendola seems like the guy. Uh, I like you said, I like his power. He was more accurate in the green and white scrimmage, from what I remember. I think he was three for four, and Chris, the kicker, I think was like one for three. If I'm remembering off the top of my head correctly, but yeah, there's. Yeah, we're. I'm, I hope that Amendola can can claim the job too, and that he can be a solid, reliable kicker because every team needs one, and right now the Jets don't have it. I think it was something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And now he's listed as number two. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. That that'll be interesting to see how this progresses over preseason and the next couple of weeks, whether that stays. I don't think. Quite honestly, I'm not even sure the Jets kicker is on the roster right now. There might be some guy they bring in before the season starts that. No one even is expecting because maybe neither of these guys pan out. But Amendola had a good start, and we're hoping he continues it. Well, defensively, the uh, one point I want to end on with the Giants preview is that the offensive line of the New York Giants uh, is going to be without Shane Lemieux, who's one of their starters. Um, so if there is a, a welcoming party for the New York Jets defensive line, where if we said all season, you know, win in the trenches, cover up for the back end, this is the poster game for it. Because you got all these talented wide receivers, the corners are going to be running all around trying to cover. If the defensive line can generate enough pressure to make that null and void, then that might be how the Jets plan to go through the rest of their season. Andrew Thomas is going to have a lot of fun against Carl Lawson, I'll say that much. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Daniel Jones is going to be in this game very long. <laughs> not, not going against those guys. The Jets backup D line should dominate the Giants backup O line, like completely dominate. Yeah, Sheldon Rankins going against backup offensive linemen is a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. Well, that has been the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I've been your host, Andrew. You can find me at Andrew Olden underscore 17. Guys, you know the drill. Matt, you can find me at, at Zazzy Jets. And you can find me at Vitor Paiva M. Once again, this has been the Oklahoma Drill Podcast at OKD Podcast on Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back real soon. Bye-bye.
Mm-hmm.